because you only have two more chances to bop along. Oh, it's muted. Welcome to the Season 8 Out of Practice Oopsie Awards. Tonight, we hand out the prestigious awards for distinguished achievements in The Practice Season 8, starring Cameron Mannheim, Steve Harris, Michael Bataluco, Jessica Capshaw, Rona Mitra, and James Spader, with appearances with by Dylan McDermott, Marla Sokolov, Paul and Taylor. Ray Abruzzo. The Robin with nipples. Half of the cast of Boston Legal. Several people auditioning for Boston Legal who didn't get the gig. Sharon Stone. Viola Davis. Betty White. A mounted human head on Eugene's wall. Sexual harassment. Denny Crane. Denny Crane. Co-hosts setting each up for disaster, each other up for disaster. Boom! Ass red raw burned ass burned. Superhero punches! I did think about doing the voice and then thought better of it. Italians! <laughs> Tree houses! And Denny Crane! Without appearances by Laura Flynn Boyle, Lisa Gay Hamilton, or Kelly Williams. And now your hosts, Keith Varney and Mike Indiglio. That went about as well as could be expected. <laughs> it's funny because what I would have said was that went so much better than expected. No, well, I mean, for us, I feel like that's pretty good, folks. Uh, welcome to the Out of Practice Podcast Season 8 Oopsie Awards. I can't believe we're here. We are handing out the final Oopsie Awards uh, before the final Oopsie Awards. Yep, so let yep. me explain how this is going to go down. So today is your Season 8 Oopsie Awards, which will be just like Season 7, Season 6, and all the other seasons. Uh, next week, or possibly in two weeks, depending on how long it takes to prepare all of the craziness we have set up for you, we are doing the series finale of Oops. 
uh, where we will be debuting a whole bunch of new material that will be, uh, you know, would have helped about five years ago uh, mm-hmm. to get people to watch the uh, watch the show. But we'll be handing out awards for the entire series as well as uh, lots of our thoughts and feelings. Um, if you would like to uh, write us, email us in anything for the series finale, you can do it at Out of Practice Podcast at gmail.com or on social media at Out of Practice Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. Mike, do, do we do we beg for money on the award shows? You know what? I'm not going to beg for money. We do have a Patreon, patreon.com slash KNDM. But here's the thing, guys. We 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 hmm. appreciate all of you. We'll we'll get mushy in the next recap episode. This is going to be hmm. my last, uh, probably, I don't know if we're going to be, I'm going to get to do it here. Or I'm going to be in the mountains. So I want to just take a quick moment to just say thank you. We have teased quite a bit and cajoled often about the low listenership of the show. Now, that was all true. Don't get me wrong. Uh, not a lot of people listened, but not zero people listened. And so for those of you who have listened silently in the background, for those of you who have taken the time to write in, to mess with us, to correct us, to help us in research, to do full bits, to do mm. voicemails, to do research, to full do videos, whole videos. We never in our wildest imaginations did we think we'd have that kind of engagement. We're so appreciative of it. And to be quite frank, we're not going to get to talk too much about it. We're kind of sad that it's all over. Also a little relieved because it's been a it's been a haul. But as I had mentioned before, we're not going to go anywhere. We're still creating stuff. We're still ideating more stuff. Uh, but if you want to jump on the train so you get notified of everything that happens as it happens, find us on YouTube. Give a like, subscribe. But check out the Patreon, patreon.com slash KNDM. Maybe just bookmark it. And when we put something out that you dig, then you can help. Uh, give us some dollars. But thank you, yes, thank indeed. you, thank you, thank you. Yeah. Uh, this no, is going to go on the YouTube, Keith, because I think you yeah. know, just, we'll have a presence. No, no, for things. sure. And, and and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think we'll, you know, there'll be a lot more times for thank yous next week uh, in what promises to be a, probably a little teary uh, a finale. Um, mm-hmm. But but yeah, it, it's I've been um in preparation been going back through all of this old material and thousands of screenshots going back to season one and tucked in those folders are some of the some of the stuff that you have sent us you know uh, you know all the messages from phoenix some of the videos from jorge and and just the the all of the people who have contributed to this it's really extraordinary uh it's been really fun to to dive back into all of that but today we are only Talking about season eight, we're gonna we're gonna be laser focused like we always are. We are going to talk about season eight, which means uh, we have to do our uh, our regular segments, including uh, what has always been one of my favorite ones. Even though this one this the summer lives forever, but we do need to answer the eternal question, Mike. Uh, after season eight aired, what were you doing? This summer in the basement. basement. I think I had mentioned last week on the summer pod, of two thousand four. I should point out. Yeah, I was I was doing the the Brooklyn band shell and loving my Park Slope, but I was also getting an email uh, about going on tour with uh, the 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 company Keith and I had worked for to do Titanic. Candlewood International. Yeah, does not uh, exist anymore. I'm sure they are defunct. Yes. They uh, were putting up a, a thing of MAME, and they mm-hmm. needed, like, an ensemble slot filled. I guess somebody dropped out because the money was atrocious, and, yeah, mm. probably the show, too. Who knows? 
Uh, no, it was pretty good, actually. Uh, and I, they asked me if I would do it, and I initially had said, no, I'm not interested, because uh, I don't dance, Keith, as you might. I'm not a, I don't fancy mm, myself mm. a dancer, and they were looking That's for somebody true. who could do those things. Uh, but as machinations will play out, uh, I'm going to end up having a pretty nasty breakup and having to move in with my friend. And so then I'm like, get me the <laughs> hell like, out of here. I uh-huh, want to deal uh-huh. with this uh, somewhere else. And so I'm so thankful I did because I met some of my dearest friends on that tour as well. <laughs> so I, re- I don't remember getting that call. But no, this uh... was, as many things in my life have been, this was the uh, four people have said no. Who the hell can we find that we can just throw in there like a slop bucket? Uh, and uh, that that tends to be me. I get that call uh, because I'll do anything. And uh, mm-hmm. but but Keith, I believe this is also, if I'm not mistaken, your emails could verify. This is about the time we also had gotten emails regarding a potential Titanic Jap- Japanese venture. Uh, yeah, that was. I think that was supposed to be the fall. Yeah, but that also went uh, bye bye. It sure did. It sure did. That did not happen. I didn't find those emails in this summer. It, I think it was later in the fall that we were supposed to do that. But uh, yeah, when no, season we were, nine of the practice could have aired, could have aired, could have aired. We would be signing contracts and rushing our passports, getting our visas, and then <laughs> nope. Yep. Like a week before rehearsal started. Yeah. So. Yeah, well, what about you, Keith? Is, what did the emails say? What were you up to this summer? Getting that? You're know, probably going to need a clip from that Mame tour. I know you have it. Oh, I do. Yeah, uh, it's, uh, I don't. We'll see. Yeah, 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 yeah. I want to see. I want to see. It's really outside the purview the of what we do here. <laughs> sure, it is. All right. Well, I, I, I did. I went back in the emails. I found lots of great stuff. Uh, Including, uh, I was getting our mutual friend Devin a job at NYU from the Titanic tour. Uh, at the the job at NYU, which became, of course, uh, beginning setting in motion the calamitous series of events, which led to I got fired. The musical uh, about the two of us getting canned. So that was uh, that's what happened. I spent uh, part of the summer in Vermont uh, playing hockey. I played in three different leagues at that point. This was the summer uh, that I uh, started the first ever bench-clearing brawl in non-checking Ooh. co-ed geriatric hockey history. Did you have to bring <laughs> in a, an attorney to uh, to defend yourself? We, I did not, strangely. Strangely, Alan Shore did not uh, extort the commissioner of the league uh, to preventing, uh, from saying, from banning fighting because uh, fighting was already banned. Uh. Uh, checking. <laughs> Checking was banned. You weren't even allowed to check. <laughs> oh, no. It's flag Didn't, hockey, and Keith beat the shit out of somebody. I, he was much, he was much bigger than me, and uh, actually in a, uh, there's a, uh, I don't know, maybe I'll find a place to drop it, but there's, uh, we were talking about doing another podcast of sort of stories from our lives, mm-hmm. and as a spec for this, I did a, sort of like a This American Life era like edited story of that experience um which i should drop at some point but uh it was really really fun i've never seen my father more proud of me than when we both went into the penalty box with all throwing all of our equipment it's really into beautiful it. actually it really was like i i you know i went into the box and i sat down i looked over at my father and i'm like i don't think he's ever been prouder of me than in this very <laughs> moment <laughs> he came off the bench he jabbed a stick down the back of the guy's uh Jersey. It was it was really quite something. Uh until you see it on video and then it's just like eh, 
Yeah, a couple of old people. We're sort of pushing a little bit. And in my head, it's like, Rah! anyway, so that happened. Um, the other thing that was brewing at this point, speaking of matters of the heart, uh, this was, I was indeed beginning uh, the uh, the courtship process of uh, this, this new uh, woman who I would become uh, involved with over the next couple of years. And uh, I didn't, I didn't remember it started with ballroom dancing lessons. Can you imagine? I to be this? honest with you, because we didn't really strike up our friendship friendship until a little bit later. I'm I think I'm like kind of oblivious to this relationship in its entirety. Well, you might have been out on tour for some of it. Yeah, yeah. no, I mean, no, she was. When I was uh, living with you proper, I don't remember you having a relationship. No, well, because it, remember I was gone because I lived with her for like a year. Oh right. So so when I wasn't there and you put a whole bunch of like homeless crack addicts in as your subletters. Oh, I had nothing to do with those subletters, buddy. Didn't pick one. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Well, uh, I just replaced the people you kicked out with dogs. Oh, oh, right. Okay. So you replaced yeah. the ones I kicked out. So yeah. that was after you got back from tour. All right. That all makes sense. But uh, yeah, anyway, she was like a world famous ballroom dancer who was, you know, taught like soup, the super wealthy, you know, the people who pay like a thousand dollars a lesson to go with somebody famous. And she was teaching me for free. Mm. Um, and I, I should have figured out, Hey, m maybe there's something else going on here that you don't, but you know, dumb, dumb me, you have to hit me over the head with a club and then drag me back to the cave before I realize you're interested in me. Um, uh, yeah. So that's what was happening, uh, that summer. Um, and, uh, yeah. So that was, it was quite a momentous summer actually for me. I, uh, speaking of, uh, not, not, I'm just going to do something we've always do, whereas I segue into just a random story that really doesn't pertain, but you mentioned mm -hmm. the hockey thing and then you watch it back on video. So, uh, I've begun to accept that I am an old person and we, mm -hmm. at a birthday party a couple, uh, two weeks ago, we played pickleball, which I had played a couple times on the cruise ships because it's very, the senior citizens enjoy it quite, quite a lot. But it's actually becoming more of a sport in the United States. Anyway, pickleball is basically the bastard child of ping pong, tennis, and badminton. All right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so long story short, my friends and I really kind of got into it because it's it's low impact and uh, <laughs> but highly but can be highly competitive. So mm -hmm. I went and uh, we got us some paddles and like a, a tennis conversion kit, read painter's tape, and we went to the tennis fields yesterday in a hundred degrees. Oh, popped our shirts right. off and we're playing like really intense pickleball. Jen took a bunch of pictures, my wife, CEO, Jim, and I was cycling the pictures. And I realized that in my head, the experience I was having mm -hmm. felt like X games level. Oh yeah. No, for sure. Yeah. Looking back, it yeah. was just a bunch of like chubby old guys hitting balls back and forth. Yeah. 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 That is a, uh, you know, uh, uh, Video documentation is <laughs> humbling. Uh, I'll, I'll leave it at that. It's you know. I feel I feel I feel bad for the kids these days because whereas our high school like heyday, our mm. uh, our youth yeah. is all up here, and yeah. theirs every second is documented. So every second, yeah. yeah. No, I'm I, mercifully what exists exists on VHS. It's hard to get to. It's very low resolution. And I can always say, I'm like, oh, yeah, no, no, I was, I was better. It's just 320 by 240 really doesn't oh, yeah. uh, show the full version of it. But you know what we should show the full version of? What was going on uh, summer of 2004 in 
the world. It's time for the Out of Practice Podcasts This Day in the World. The greatest hits, the biggest movies, headlines from Vermont, essential sports updates, and for some inexplicable reason, the weather from 20 years ago. Now back to Keith and Mike. Stinky New York hot. Stinky New York hot, although happily I was up in an ice rink in Vermont, so not so bad for me. The top songs this summer were Burn by Usher, I Believe by Fantasia, coming off season two of American Idol. Oh, yeah. Uh, did you see her in Color Purple? She was phenomenal. I didn't, and I can't remember that song either. I can't remember either of those first two songs. Maybe another one no. I will. Uh, Lean Back by Terror Squad. Lean Back. Lean Back. That's how that I got. No, not I didn't know any of those. The top movies included Spider-Man 2, which I think was uh, perhaps my first official date with this lady. Oh. Uh, did you hang upside down and then she like made out with you? I mean, if anyone was hanging upside down, it'd be the professional dancer, not me. Uh, anyway, we also saw Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Ooh. Shrek 2 and The Village were all major... Uh, movies this summer in the news the senate intelligence committee reports that the iraq weapons program was overstated so uh this is when we realized oh oops yeah no it was all a lie and we just blew up like two countries for nothing and also the democrats nominated john Kerry for president he reported for losing all right so that (laughs) that brings us to this year's Emmy Awards. Ooh, I forgot about this part. Yeah. Excited. See, remember, we used to we used to win a lot of these. Uh-huh. I can't then, believe we were nominated. I can't believe this segment is even here. Although, I have to imagine Spader probably gets nominated. Well, well we're going to find out. We're going to find out. Starting with the nominees for drama of the Emmys included The Sopranos, Joan of Arcadia, 24, The West Wing, and CSI. The winner was The Sopranos. The practice was not nominated. In Best Actress in a Drama, the winner was Allison Janney. And none of us were nominated because it wasn't a great season for women. All right, the nominees for Guest actor in a drama include William Shatner, James Earl Jones for Everword, Everwood, Martin Landau for Without a Trace, Bob Newhart for ER, Matthew Perry for West Wing, and William Shatner for The Practice. And the winner was William Shatner yeah. for The Practice. That's huge. Yes, indeed. Denny Crane. Now the nominees for Guest Actress in a Drama included Louise Fletcher from Joan of Arcadia. Mike, get ready for Louise Fletcher on Deep Space Nine because holy moly. Also nominated was a previous winner for the practice, Marley Matlin, nominated for ER. Mayor Whittingham for SVU. And Betty White for The Practice. Also nominated, Sharon Stone for The Practice. And the winner for Guest Actress in a Drama, 
Sharon Stone. She came out ahead. She full on one. Now, best actor in a drama. The nominees are James Gandolfini for The Sopranos, Anthony LaPaglia for Without a Trace, Martin Sheen for The West Wing, <clears throat> Kiefer Sutherland for 24, and of course, James Spader for The Practice. And the winner goes to James Spader for The Practice. Wow, that's pretty big. Yeah. So, uh, folks, both James Spader, William Shatner, and Sharon Stone all won Emmys for Boston Legal Prequel, season eight of The Practice. That's so weird. I can only imagine, like, I love, and I don't like imagining because it makes me feel uncomfortable, what the, uh, what everybody was thinking. You know what I mean? I want to know. what 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 about imagination makes you uncomfortable? I, I don't remember that song in Sesame Street. Imagination makes me feel uncomfortable. Don't when do I, it. <laughs> when I imaginate my best, I feel stressed. Uh, I maybe just because you're a pervert, people imagine other no! things. No, <laughs> I'm not imagining Perv Town. I'm imagining Dylan and Lisa Gay stewing in their living rooms, going, "What?" They mm. fired us, and these people came in and won Emmys? Uh, did anybody watch it? Because I watched it. Uh, Sharon Stone's work was great, if erratic, uh, but that's what she has asked to. And, of course, we all know, we can't deny the 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 Shatner and Spader Shatner chemistry. Songs. Yeah, the Shatner yeah. and Spader songs. So, yeah. uh, you know, it's it, good for them. And, I'm, it, it, I mean, it's clearly a, a, a prequel to the success they're about to have starting next season. Although I think it was it was successful right from the gate, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was. So, uh, yeah. All right. So now it is time to, uh, Mike, how well do you remember season eight? I mean, I, I, I would be great if I had a pictorial journey through the season. Oh, you think? Yeah. Let's do the Out of Practice podcast season eight recap. Starting All with right. episode one, We the People. Nipples Robin is on trial for killing his pregnant wife. Viola Davis shoots a drug dealer, and Alan Shore defends a homeless man who forcibly kissed a woman. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Little did we know how prescient that was going to be. The season Next- of cringe. Season of Cringe. Next one was The Chosen. Nipples Robin loses it on the stand, and Sharon Stone shows up and talks to God. Cause of action. Sharon Stone joins the firm and defends a guy who really hates his wife and the peppermint twist. Alan bails out Eleanor by ratting her client out to the judge, and Eugene saves Alan. Blessed are they. Sharon Stone represents a guy who mounted his mother's head on the wall. Luckily, she solves it by mounting it on Eugene's office. Alan Shore shows compassion to a guy who really likes cleaning toilets. The heat of passion. Eugene defends a white supremacist. Jamie misses a filing deadline, and Alan bails her out when not grossly flirting with Tara. I'm taking over. Do it. Uh, the lonely people. The firm uses gay panic to try and get a white supremacist off. 
Mm, good one. Good one, Keith. <laughs> Alan defends the peppermint twist guy before banging his sister. Mm, that <laughs> By banging his sister. By banging his sister. <laughs> well, read it cold. Rape shield. Jimmy defends a guy accusing of raping Bartlett's daughter. Kittleson and Jimmy drink together. Let's go back to back. Concealing evidence. A dude runs into the office and hides a knife in the conference room. Oh, yeah. Alan helps with concealing evidence. Victim's rights. Alan tries to protect a girl from being taken back to Romania. This was a good episode. To be a child bride. Eugene helps a guy assassinate his wife's killer. He just, he just, but he just assists. Ah, oh, damn it. I, I, I screwed this up. I should have made you do it. Equal justice. <laughs> Need pee, long drive. Need pee bad. Bottom buttocks, bottom burn. Red raw skin, bottom burn. Red raw, blow off toilet bowl. <laughs> Did you tell me the truth? Did you turn on closed captioning to get that just right? Yep. <laughs> Police state, the cops torture a guy who may or may not have shot an officer. Our team fights to hold (laughs) that screenshot. (laughs) (laughs) Avenging angels. An old guy goes Bobby McRambo to get revenge on the mob. That one was a crazy ass, too. Uh, Police, oh, no, uh, uh, going home. McDreamy might have murdered his wife. Alan goes to his rescue and gets yelled at by Betty White and has to face his statutory rapist, McDreamy's mom. Pre-trial blues. Betty White extorts McDreamy and his mom for money. Alan finds out his hometown hates him. Mr. Show Gores. (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Show Gores? (laughs) Guys, we are failing a literacy <laughs> test. Right Mr. Shore goes to town. Alan goes scorched earth during McDreamy's trial and gets him off, but he uh, totally did it. Mm. In good conscience, a woman dies in childbirth and they try to sue the doctor, but perhaps he's the wrong target. Eugene starts laying the ground to fire Alan. Tara betrays the firm by giving him a heads up. You know, I've had. I want to insert really quick here. I've had some. Mm. I've had some new thoughts about. Uh, I'll, like, it is pretty shitty. They only offered him fifteen thousand dollars on his way out the door. That is mm. shitty. I think they should have. That that was that was the, definitely David Kelly like making a, a stark turn for Eugene's character. Anyway. Well, but all right. We'll we'll, we'll talk about it later. But like getting anything when you. When you're committing crimes, like if I worked at Pizza Hut and I was selling meth out of the back of it, I wouldn't expect much of a buyout. Yeah, but if you had sold nine million dollars worth of pizza, it's a different conversation. I suppose. I suppose. Uh, uh, War of the Roses. They fired Alan. Lucy's back. The war begins. A lady punched the cop, and Alan makes the fateful decision to hire. Wait for it, Denny Crane. The case against Alan Shore. It's a war between the practice and proto-Boston legal. We all know who wins. Not the firm. The firm. It's the pilot of Boston legal. What's that you say? It's still the practice in the credits? Huh. Jimmy starts to examine his future. Comings and goings. Alan goes to Coyote Ugly. The FBI bugged Boppy Papaluccio's ass. (laughs) 
well, you know, <laughs> it's Bobby Pooplanuccio's ass. No, it's Bobby Pooplanuccio's ass. If you read, it, that's what you wrote. You wrote Bobby Pooplanuccio. <laughs> Keith, make me a solid promise today. In some work of fiction that you create, sometime in the future, please Uh create a character named Bobby Poopladuccio. Bobby. 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 Bobby Boop. (laughs) It's hard to say. Bobby (laughs) Poopladuccio. Okay, anyway. Moving forward. Eugene finds out he's up for a judgeship. Uh, uh, wait. New hoods on we? the block. New hoods <laughs> on the block. Tonight on Boston Legal, Alan flirts and flounces with Sally and Tara. On meatballs and grunts, Jimmy goes to war with a mobster lawyer. On the practice, Eugene's hearing isn't going well until he's rescued by Bobby Donnell. On a crossover between Boston Legal and Allie McBeal, Eleanor super punches Hannah Rose into the literal sky. Mm-hmm. And finally, adjourned, a.k.a. cheers. You, Everyone's leaving the nest. Eugene's a judge, and Jimmy is heading up the firm of Meatball and Meatball with Jamie, and Alan talks to the ladies. And Bobby cries alone at his desk. Let's not forget. <laughs> All right, now I got to refocus. All right, so that is what happened in season eight. Uh, and uh, But before, oh, we give out some good. fake awards. Uh, I really want to uh, give some new and interesting information that we got from our yeah. good friend uh, uh, and uh, and patron, Jorge, who uh, sent me a whole bunch of newspaper clippings from the, the time, uh, contemporaneous news coverage of uh, the show closing, which was um, closing, <laughs> theater term, uh, the show uh, being canceled. So some really interesting stuff that I read in here, and I actually transcribed some of it because there are some quotes here that I think were uh, really interesting. Jorge, how did you get these? Did you uh, sign up for like newspapers.com or did you save these from the time? I'm so curious. Uh, Anyway, so uh, here's a quote from Cameron, which I think was very revealing. Uh, In an interview with Newsday, as it ended, she said, some of the other shows are getting these huge fond farewells. Friends, Sex in the City. You know, I should point out that this is in an, a phone interview with the press with her, Michael, and David E. Kelly. So all these quotes happen directly in front of David E. Kelly. Uh, she said, some of the other shows are getting these huge fond farewells. Friends, Sex in the City. Well, we didn't get invited to Oprah. So yeah, I'm a little resentful of that. On a personal level, it's been hard for me to share these last few episodes with the new show. Just to set the record straight, I have absolutely no resentment towards James Spader. I think he's a genius, but I am sad, and I'll say it here and now. Uh, which is interesting because we, you're talking about imagining what how they were feeling. Well, they're feeling exactly how we felt. Uh, yeah, and you know, I, point of, I believe yes, this is true. Uh, Keith, you probably don't know this. I had to. There were some audio issues with the episode last week, so I had to truncate the the clip we played with. David E. Kelly, oh. uh, and I had to cut off the part of viewers and listeners at home where he says that this had been very difficult for him both professionally and personally. So it does mm. sound like 
there was, or that was, maybe I listened to that part off. But regardless, I don't think you all heard it. And, no. And that does also point to his, you know, to, to the point where, and, and Keith, you know this as a creator, sometimes, unfortunately, when you're making stuff, you want to use <clears throat> your friends or you yeah. become friends with the people who are making your stuff. And the business goes the way the business goes. You can't always hire all your buddies or things go a certain way. And you as a creator, I'm sure David E. Kelly here, had to take some personal, I'm sure that there were some words had between yeah. some of the cast members, the way things went down. Doesn't, I'm sure they all conducted themselves professionally, but uh, it is, it is uh, clearly tensions were high. And I think Cameron's all the more badass for being upfront. Like, it's okay to say, yeah. hey, I'm upset, this sucks, but it is what it is. Yeah, I, I I think so too, and and you're absolutely right in the, you know, and look, we've we've done a lot of criticism of David E. Kelly about these decisions and how he's handled stuff, but I, you know, I, you're absolutely right how difficult it is as a creator, um, not just with the cast, but with anybody else you're working with, you know, the designers, producers, directors, people. There's so many people involved in your show that as the like take I got fired, for instance, you know, there's probably 60, 70 people who worked on that show at some point or another. And it's, you have to make really tough decisions. And like, we did a, we did a reading five years later and didn't use any of the original cast. And that wasn't really my call, but at the same time, I'm also sort of the, the creator and the face of it. And I had to make some very uncomfortable phone calls and emails um, to do that. So it's tough. It is absolutely tough, and some sometimes it's out of your hand, and sometimes it's not because anybody's done anything wrong, but because you want to go in a different direction, and so on and so forth. So, um, however, there was an interesting uh, epilogue for Cameron, uh, in that because they were actually working on a possible spinoff uh, for Eleanor that was a sitcom, mm. it which is... Bat blowing shit. my mind. It was in development for for 2005. The concept was Eleanor moves back to her hometown where her mother and sisters live to teach at a local college. Um, I, I it's it's so hard for me to wrap my head. Around. So w would this have been a multicam sitcom yeah, with like I mean, a studio my, audience? In my like, brain, so the way I see it is that she, Eleanor ex or Cameron had expressed to David that she felt that there was still more to explore with this character. And I think David recognized, it sounds like they were, they, they were, they were personal colleagues as well. And it sounds to me like David wanted to show, maybe wanted to showcase Cameron's ability at humor. I mean, we saw a great, we saw her great drama skills, but she's also very funny. And I think For that, sure. and I think that maybe they were going to, it's clear to me that it, from interviews and from just kind of his oeuvre, that at this juncture, David E. Kelly was l less interested in exploring dramatic procedurals and more going down a, like a comedic route or looking at things yeah. from a more absurdist lens. So it makes sense that that would be something they were percolating. Yeah, yeah, uh, interesting. I, I mean, what an alternate universe. <laughs> that I Especially would, uh... when it seemed pretty clear they were like maybe sub-developing the Jimmy, the, the Goomba and Grunt. Right, but, right. Yeah, I don't, I don't understand why, why meatballs and grunts never got developed. Um, anyway, so speaking of meatballs and grunts, we also have, I also have a quote here from Michael from the same interview. 
And uh, he said, this past season has been the antithesis of what the practice was about the past seven years. I thought it was interesting to have a character like Alan Shore come on board, who was sort of the opposite of what we stood for. Uh, For all intents and purposes, the practice ended last year when Bobby sort of closed the lights. Um, It's like they're on our podcast, Keith. It's it's like they are on a podcast. It, it it's funny because I thanks to Hori, I, I didn't know any of these things. And um, with what you did last week with the David E. Kelly interview and paired with these, um, I'm I'm shocked at how much we read into what was happening on you know on the screen that was happening off the screen. It was sort of confirmed. It has um, all the feels of like a big Hollywood power couple breakup happening yeah. in the media, but just mm-hmm. more like as an ensemble. I mean, it definitely feels that. And and and, and what I think is really powerful is that you get the sense, and, and I think speaks great to the cast we had for the show and why we were so lucky to kind of uh, have this, is it's clear to me, I think I've, we've both, uh, what's the word, in, infer, implied it in, in our conversations. It, it seems to me like there was a, some sour grapes, rightfully so. Like I, if I'm on that ensemble cast and the way it went down, it seems like it it, it sucked a little bit. And, yeah, well, I mean, and I and I wouldn't call it sour grapes. I'd call it justified grapes. Sure. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> whatever the grapes, it is. Whatever happened, the grapes went sour. Unpleasant okay. grapes. Yeah. yeah. And even though it's it's confirmed, and we're hearing these things in the press, and we're even hearing these direct quotes, what's cool is that. Nobody like nowadays people go scorched earth and people say drop rumors and there's this and there's beef and there's that. Everybody seems to have conducted themselves really professionally, uh yeah. and not slandered well, and, anyone. And that's really cool. And and also like these these conflicts, because you you know, you think about stuff that has come up from contemporaneous shows like you know, what Joss Whedon was up to and what um, you know, any of I mean, all these these things that have come out lately. This is all sort of professional and artistic conflicts. It's budget. It's like, I want to take the show in this direction. It's, you know, it's normal, everyday artistic conflicts. Um, So I want to finish our little news section here with a quote from the Star-Telegram and a a review, which I thought was very sort of revealing about um, what what this reviewer was thinking, but also I, I think we were as well. Uh, he says, what's certain is, if you're still attached to the original players of the practice, if you're still hanging on to the hopes of at least getting a skeletal version of the series, my advice is to cut all emotional ties now or risk severe disappointment. This was the setup for the finale. Uh, Those who have hung around long enough to see how my, how the mighty have fallen have suffered. For a brief moment, the season seemed as though relief would come in the sociopath we know as James Spader. Spader was part of the rebuilt the practice. The show was unceremoniously gutted after ABC refused to pay the six million per episode price tag to air uh, the show. Ratings had dwindled down to seven million from the total of ten million in its heyday, uh, and soon the show became a caricature of itself. Um, which you know, I think that's fair. I think that's true. I mean, I think um, the show did sort of become that. Of course, if you think about a show getting 7 million viewers today, that'd be a giant hit. The show yeah. would never be canceled if it got 7 million. Um, but yeah, so it, it seems from uh, everything that Jorge 
sent me there that pretty much everybody was feeling what we're feeling now going back over the show. Which, um, which, which, I know we're not talking about it, but which really stands to give credit to how they were able to take that and then create this new show in the shadow of that, of this image and have it be such a smash. Yeah. You know, well, I mean, the, our, our, I think what makes this hard, right, is that it, it's, it's not that Boston Legal isn't a great show. And it's not like it wasn't a valid show. And honestly, it's not that I don't understand having to cut back budgetarily and 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 turn over the cast, right? I understand all of that. It's how. How do you get from A to B to C that has always been the issue that I've bumped on? Right. All right. So you 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 have to move on with the cast. Okay, great. How are you gonna do it? How are you mm-hmm. gonna show the actors and the characters the respect? For the journey that they've been on, the audience has been on. How do you how do you show respect to that? Same thing. You're setting up a new show. How do you how do you do that in a way that is still respectful of the show that you have created for seven years and everyone who's been watching it and is invested in it? Well, um, to play to play a little uh, make believe, Keith, as mm-hmm. has been you know I've been accused of having only a perverted <laughs> imagination, but it turns out uh, that it's not. Makes me uncomfortable. Case. Your imagination yeah. makes me uncomfortable, Mike. So, you know, we have to look at this through the lens of, of the time period it was in. The, the network format, the rollout and the release format was locked, okay? Yeah. Recently, there was an interview I heard. Uh, I wish I could remember the creator, but they were basically talking about how once you went to, once streaming started, once you started writing for streaming, this this creator never wanted to go back to network because in network television, you're laying down the tracks as the train's going, right? You're 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 right. writing shows. Shows have already been aired while you're still writing the next ones. Whereas sure, in streaming, yeah. you put everything in the can and you can make edits. You can something that happened in episode twenty, you can go back and rewrite episode two. Ref, you know, it's 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 different now. You and so much more creative freedom you and know, control. Yes, today I could say that there's an argument for David E. Kelly could have been like, okay, here's the budget I've been given for season eight. I'm going to spend a bit of money on the first three episodes and make like a mini movie and write the practice out, and then I'm going to right. spend the rest of the season transitioning over that. We can we understand that that was not the possibility. He was given it yeah. seems like a pretty binary choice: cancel the practice, or you get one more season and then you can transition over. And yeah. and so he made the decision that he needed to, what like he said last week, um, slowly transition the audience into the new tone. I don't know if that was necessary. I feel like it could have been this is over. Use some time to make this over and then start the new thing. But yeah. that wasn't my choice to make, obviously. No, and and I, I think that your your point there is very well stated that the train is moving. With all these decisions, the train is moving. The train never really stops, especially when you're doing 22 episodes a season uh, as opposed to 10. Like even the off season when it's not airing, well, you're you're not stopping working. <laughs> like you right. have to get that get that going and and as we know up towards the end of season eight the turnaround was so lightning fast uh we, we, with the hockey story we we're able to see like oh my god they turned this episode from from idea to screen in six weeks so uh yeah that it's a lot harder to make these decisions on a moving train all right speaking of moving trains it is time to uh hop on the train of our final season 
Oopsie Awards, Michael! Ladies and gentlemen, the Out of Practice Podcast, in unofficial, unsolicited, unfactual association with David E. Kelly Productions, proudly present... Oopsie! The Oopsies! Celebrating excellence in acting good, lawyering good, guesting good, and being Tom Brady. Not to mention... This is where we rate the episode and stuff. Now, here are your hosts, Keith and Mike. What the hell are the oopsies? Well, Jackie, uh, they are an award show that begin with... The nominees for Most Valuable Lawyer in Season 8 of The Practice are Eugene Young for Cause of Action and Police State, Jimmy Berluti for We Are the People, <laughs> We the People, Avenging Angels, Comings and Goings, New Hoods on the Block, and Adjourn, Jamie Stringer for two episodes I didn't write down, and Alan Shore, blessed are they, the lonely people, concealing evidence, victims' rights, going home, and Mr. Shore goes to town. Yeah, here we are. Uh, here we are. The truth of the matter, Keith, and, and mm-hmm. I don't mean to see flip, seem flip, is that they didn't, they didn't give us a lot of... Uh, distinction here i feel like we're we're sort of limited it's clear that alan this season i mean i guess you could argue against it because he did cause sort of the destruction of the entire firm so (laughs) i guess we can have that we can have that conversation but he does alan does win every case he brings in sharon stone who brings some business in they win a lot does some remodeling a ton of money a ton 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 of money which they ultimately settle on giving him two, I think, two point six million or something, which means that's still, uh, if I do my math right, seven million dollars that mm-hmm. came into the firm over this period of time. Yeah, I don't yeah. understand why they were in poverty after that, but that's a different conversation. It seems the, to me the finances like, have always been a question. I mean, he gets his best friend off for murder, even though that the bloody knife was in the treehouse that he's been spending all his time in. Nobody's nobody right? seemed to follow him over. Couldn't smell it. Yeah, please. Uh, and he does, you know, sexually harass every woman within 50 miles. But, uh, you mm-hmm. know, that doesn't seem to stop his lawyering. Uh, I, I think it's Alan Shore here. Tell me that I'm wrong. I'd, I'd love to tell you that you're wrong, but there's not a heck of a lot of other lawyers lawyering, right? Like, they just don't... It's the Allen show from start to finish. Um, you know, the, there aren't even a lot of giant other cases that don't involve Allen because like you, you have the, you know, we have uh, the, the Robin case, right. And then you have the peppermint twist case, mm-hmm. which but, kind of morphed into a different case, which, well, they all sort of morphed into other things, but then it just became about Allen. Like it was, it was Allen is in his hometown. Then it was like, can we fire Allen? Then it became uh, this, that, the other thing. And so, yeah, I mean, Allen was a grenade, right? But a lucrative grenade. So everybody, 
it, it blew up everything. Everybody eventually lost their jobs, but they all made a lot of money doing it. So uh, I guess it's... Wait I, I mean, a second. Okay. All right. Do we have it's an alternative? Last, it's fact? the last one. So I'm going to just throw out a a potential loophole okay. that we could exploit if we wanted to. Let's put, let's okay. discuss it before we decide whether we want to pull right. that grenade pin to really beat a, a analogy to death. Blow up a dead horse? It seems to me that judges are lawyers. They have. Uh-huh. So you could make the case that Eugene, who we've come to love and respect, Bobby came to tell how much he loves and respects him. In fact, James Spader, who we just, or Al, excuse me, Alan Shore, who just potentially won our most valuable lawyer, tells mm-hmm. Eugene how much he's beyond reproach and respects him more than any other person. And Eugene mm-hmm. has just ascended to the bench and will continue to probably lay down the long smack of justice for years to come. Mm -hmm, Who knows mm -hmm. how much longer the rest of these lawyers will even be practicing. So Eugene could potentially be set up to be the most valuable lawyer for the greater Boston area moving forward. Well, you're absolutely right, moving forward. Mm. But we are not adjudicating the future. We are not adjudicating the past. We are only adjudicating season eight. And he'll be adjudicating everything now. Now, Okay, so I just want, on behalf of some of our, Matt and other listeners, I just want you to know that by awarding the oopsie to most most valuable lawyer to Alan Shore, you you are officially condoning everything he's said or done. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, absolutely, of course, of course. 100%, yeah. 100%, all right, well, uh, let's... uh, no, play the applause. Of, you got to play the applause. Play the applause. Oh, uh, where where is the applause? Hold on. I have to find it. I'm not even on the right. Wait, it's got to be around here somewhere. We failed. No, that's not the right one. <laughs> well, it's appropriate. It's, oh, appropriate, it's totally appropriate. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Mike, Woo! you're going to have to do... Yeah, you have to do your own clapping. Yeah, Alan Shore! Who ah! won that oopsie? Alan Shore did. He sure did. Yeah, well, you know what the... I was, it's funny, like, the, the article I read about talked mm-hmm. about the appearance of the sociopath uh, James Spader and not Alan Shore. <laughs> yeah, it was seemed, to, it seemed pointed. All, All right. right. Anyway, on. moving forward. Already famous because you've been on TV. Getting a pay. Get the dance, buddy. On your IMDb. Way to go. But you're the best guest actor. You are the best guest actor. Guest actor on the episode. Okay. I gotta find it. Here we go. The nominees for Best Guest Actor on Season 8 of The Practice are Jill Claiborne for Going Home and Mr. Shore Goes to Town. Betty White for Free Trial Blues. William Shatner for Let's All Say It Together. Denny, Denny Gray. Gray. And John Welcott for The Heat of Passion and The Lonely People. All so right, Michael. We have two subdivisions, as I see it. We've got John Walcott and Jill Claiborne, who both had to take... Difficult characters, let's say, mm-hmm. and humanize them 
and show us that they are living, breathing people and not just caricatures. Uh, and that's a tif- tough lift for both of them because you've got uh, pretty much a despicable human being in John Walker, but has to, but he was able to translate him. In fact, we were I was really bowled over by his performance. And, and Jill Claiborne, who, you know, it's easy to truncate that down to she sexually harassed young Alan Shore, but it turns out there's a lot more to that and her like odd relationship with her. her she played a lot of sharp corners uh, and interesting angles to what, what <coughs> could have been a very caricature-esque type person, but but was able to find more to that. Both of, both of them did so very well. Then you've got Betty White and William Shatner who just, they opened the barn doors and said, have fun. Yeah. And I thought they both Chew the set down. Chew the set down. And Betty White sure did and still found ways to make her uh, pointed and found ways to make her despicable, but you laughed and you also hated her. And and she was sort of, a, at the end of the day, she was sort of a red herring. She didn't really actually impact much, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess that's not, regardless. But then you got Denny Crane. You've got William Shatner, who ostensibly was asked to chew down the scenery. And he is known for doing just that, and yet was able to really start to create a fully fleshed out human being when it, not a lot of that was on the page. Yeah, there was the sort of uh, Alzheimer's type dementia angle, which they quickly dropped. And as as you pointed out, it doesn't even it doesn't carry over to the next show, uh, probably for the best. Um, she does but a it, little bit, but you know. Okay, but it, you know, it ups it it reevaluates the the power dynamic with the Alan Shore character, and mm-hmm. I think Shatner. I bet a lot of that happened on set just by his sort of presence, and it it actually for me at least, uh, his work because as I mentioned, I never watched Boston Public, just here and there, Boston Boston Legal. His work really astounded me. I found that even when he was at his scene chewiest, it never felt like the actor coming through doing that. It always felt like this was a person, and it didn't feel like William Shatner. It didn't feel like Captain Kirk on this show doing Kirk stuff in a suit, you know? It it never felt that way, which is mind-blowing since he is so hyper-cast in a specific role, you know? I just think his work is astounding. It's funny, and he takes a character, and and so somehow that is when you really kind of like jot it down. If you were just reading it off the page, is 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 maybe worse than Alan Shore in his sort of in his some of his views of people, and, and definitely the way he says them. But he's able to round off, sand off all the burrs, and just make him this lovable character, which is a really powerful tool. I imagine Keith as a writer. When you have created a character who is can be funny and disarming, but yet you've set the you've set the table with he's got a lot of uh, uh, idiosyncrasies, shall we say, that you can you can play with and stories you can tell through juxtaposition or through highlighting uh, viewpoints. Uh, I mean, just he really Kelly created a masterful tool here, but I think any other actor it would have been a completely different character, story, and performance. And for that reason, I think he won an Emmy, and I think he gets the oopsie. Yeah. Um, 
I, I think you're right. I think I think that is the right choice. I I think I would. I, I'm just for the sake of sakes. Yeah. I'm going going to make an argument, uh, for either Jill Clayburg or John Walcott, um, because they gave the practice performances, and yep. Betty White and William Shatner gave Boston Legal performances, and they were all terrific and charming and great, but. Uh, Clayburgh's and Walcott's performance would be every bit as good in season five, in season two, in any era of the practice, whereas Betty White and William Shatner would have been very broad. It, I understand. John Larroquette, we get it. Yeah. But it would have been like, uh, it would have been a lot, and it would have been tonally pretty crunchy earlier in the series. Um, that said... We're rating season eight, right? So for what it is, I think you're right. I think it's William Shatner. So uh, you bring up a great point, though, because I think I think those two performances and those two episodes or arcs, I should say. But they, well, I guess it would have been hard to have Alan Shore, but those would have been great in earlier seasons. Like that whole sure. uh, best friend from back home and Jill Claiborne, like adding that to the Bobby Donald dynam- Burn, dynamic. Yeah. Could have been really cool, and would have sure. really fit the show, and really been interesting exploration. How would it, how would uh, Lindsay have dealt with that and stuff? I mean, and and frankly, I think it explained it would explain Bobby's behavior every bit as well as it explains Spader's. Yeah, yeah, that's a good that that I, you know what I like that rewrite. I like that. So, uh, in the alternate universe, in the multiverse, where Bobby's around for season eight as opposed to Alan Shore, that's a good episode. So, uh, anyway, your best guest actor is William Shatner. Now, it is time for... You killed your podiatrist or blew the case But you let a single tear run down your face You're the best actor on (coughs) the show Ladies and gentlemen, the nominees for Best Actor of The Practice Season 8 are Michael Bataluco for We the People, The Case Against Alan Shore and The Firm, Steve Harris for Cause of Action, The Heat of Passion, The Lonely People, Concealing Evidence in Good Conscience, and New Hoods on the Block. Cameron Mannheim for Cause of Action, Avenging Angels, In Good Conscience, War of the Roses, Adjourned, a.k.a. Cheers. And finally, James Spader for Cause of Action, Blessed Are They, Rape Shield, Concealing Evidence, Victims' Rights, Going Home, Pre-Trial Blues, Mr. Shore Goes to Town, and The Case Against Alan Shore. Also receiving votes... Danny Tater for The Chosen. <laughs> also receiving votes. Oh, damn, Danny Tater. He might be our <laughs> best work. He might be the best mind figment that uh, manifested. Oh, and, and for our finale, I'm definitely sitting here with a nice steaming bowl of Danny Tater spader tots. Absolutely, 100%. Um... And a nice, freshing LaCroix. A LaCroix. Mm. It's water in a can. 
<laughs> it's water, but more wasteful. <laughs> With a touch of environmental destruction. Um, <laughs> no, actually, I mean, compared to a water bottle. Um, anyway, what are we talking about? So, you know, it's really hard not to jump forward to next episode, the final episode, and, and adjudicate this based on the whole the whole series. Uh, because season eight is tough. Season eight is clearly, you know, it's we usually really debate these things, but they ha- they threw they hammered us in the face here. I mean, James Spader, no one is he is a, he is a genius. His work is incredible in this show in this episode in this season, and there's so much of it. I can make awesome shout outs to Cameron, Michael, and Steve, and I'm, I I think we should we should highlight some things. I think Eugene's final arc finally feels not just vindication for the character, but vindication for Steve Harris this season because he's been criminally used in the first 70% as just angry dad, right? With no agency. And then the way they play out that, the arc with Alan, it makes, it it makes, as Matt rightly points out in a lot of his emails, uh, seem like, like just a, a bitter diva who didn't get his way. So he's screwing Alan, but that doesn't really line up. A lot of the way that, uh, that Eugene was written didn't seem completely cohesive with the Eugene we've come to know this season. I would argue against that, but continue your, your okay. thought. Okay, fair. That's the way it felt to me. I'm not saying it didn't it didn't seem justified because I'm sure you will be able to explain how it was in many ways, but but the framing used on that you cannot disagree painted Eugene in the role of the scorned lover or what yeah, the the antagonist of that arc i believe i yeah i i, I don't feel that okay we way. see it we see it interesting we'll talk about it it's, it's yeah. interesting uh regardless it's not the look of eugene <sighs> i don't know it, it for all the respect that alan talks about with eugene a lot of that wasn't put on camera this season Right. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So, so it's it 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 ring it takes away a little of the bite every time Alan says it, and you're like, why are you such a dick to him all the time, man? Like it just none of that makes sense because we didn't see any of the on screen. Except they had a couple of heart to hearts. My point is, is that it's hard. So I don't want to make it seem like I'm voting for James Spader because there was so that there was so much of him. Let me give you the other point. Like the challenge Spader had here was enormous okay let's take a look at just coming on to a show in its final season and taking over the lead role after they just fired half the cast just walking onto the lot okay yeah yeah you gotta have giant balls all right and and i god knows how he i I wish there was some reporting of how he like conducted himself on set because i'm curious right it doesn't seem like anybody really hated him it seemed like he was pretty respected so i imagine he he must have come with a, no, I mean, some the, sort of joie de vivre. The, the people I know who have worked with him are like, he is exactly what you'd expect him to be. Okay. Well, we'll let you all decide what that means for yourself. <laughs> um, Not necessarily in a negative way. Yeah, I'm saying. He, he's, you, everybody, James Spader, you, James Spader. You imagine he's very he's got a similar like charisma and quality to what you see on screen because he seems oh, no question there's a lot of similarities anyway i mean i i think it's just I, I think he's basically playing versions of himself tilted towards good or versions of himself yep. tilted towards evil like i think that's but here 
he was given a very a very vague sketch of a character at the top and that vague sketch seemed to ebb and flow based on probably changes in the writing changes of direction changes of how spader things spader had done speaking of laying the tracks as you go and they were kind of writing him as they were they were finding a character for a new show eventually and but they didn't know that when they were starting yeah so the task seems monumental plus they're giving him some incredible cases they have to though it doesn't seem like they put as much thought into it as we put into it subsequently find a way for him to be it it, it was clear by david e kelly's interview that he intended for alan to be pretty despicable yeah uh, yeah uh, and uh, not even an anti-hero but sort of like a, a d-bag like that he was, was supposed the to be the bad guy it was supposed yeah. to be a like a Vader. And then that changed arc. and Alan did it clearly without alienating everyone. Like Keith and I clearly have very strong opinions, obviously, but he won an Emmy. The ratings were through the roof. People loved it. They were tuning in again. They tuned into the next show. So it works. But he is the, his recipe works, right? So it's looking from a, an acting perspective to be able to create that with success, success, in those circumstances and be given an incredible uh, stack of scripts. I mean, he was in every episode and they were huge arcs. Um, I'm going to leave you the floor to to sing the praises of, of our original cast, whom I love. But I, once again, just don't see any way we can't award Spader for the gargantuan no. role he had this season. No, no. I, I mean, you're right. Look, it's, I think we need to draw a hard line between James Spader and Alan, and Alan Shore. Shore. 100%. Right? Yes. And and the Alan Sh- James Spader was so charming and so watchable and so um electric on stage. He he came over and took over an entire series and created his own series. He took a character that was say supposed that, say to be... Say that sentence again, because it's astounding. He he, he came over to, a, to an established show, took it over so hard, they not only wrote him a spinoff, they rewrote the entire series he was on to do that. And, and, like, and they started with the intention of making him so unlikable that nobody was going to want him to succeed. Not only... Did he transcend that? He manifested, and, and, and think about it, he didn't manifest a new show. He manifested an alternate universe. He His character transported into yeah. an adjacent universe in the multiverse, which had a different tone. Um, so, it, like, my complaints with Alan Shore are with the writing. None of it's with Spader. Spader's unbelievable. Spader is is so good um, that he he overrides everything else, including sense and respect and right and but that's not Spader's fault, mm-hmm. right? That's whoever wrote Alan Shore's lines' fault, <laughs> and 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 more importantly, it's it's less about what Alan Shore was doing than what was happening around him how people were reacting to the character, how they treated the other characters in the show. So 
uh, for all of the like we we are on Alan Shore, Spader's genius in this, and um, and for just for the sake of sakes, numerically, uh, he got seventeen votes for best actor this uh, between the two of us this season. Now he got that many votes mainly because every story was about him, mm-hmm. but that's clearly a record. Nobody has gotten that many votes close, in a yeah. season. Not even close. Um, and the closest person in this season was Steve Harris, who had 11. And so it, it's 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 a no-brainer. Of course it's James Spader. Um, you know, and would I have written the season to make James Spader be the best actor on the final season of The Practice? Hell no. But he, this is what he did with what was given to him. He knocked that out of the park. No question. So yeah, I would I would say cl- the close second is Steve Harris, and 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 the challenge he was given, I think, uh, is that, you know, for in, intentionally or, or not intentionally, the the Spader no, I'm I'm doing it again, conflating the two. The Alan Shore Eugene, what's Eugene's last name? Young, Eugene Young, uh, dynamic, is sort of an. Uh, uh, a meta analogy of the firm versus or the practice versus Boston legal in this season. And, you know, it's difficult to be the one because Cameron get, or uh, Eleanor gets is friends with Alan. So she sort of gets to straddle the line and, and Jimmy sort of gets to go off and do his own thing. So it's really, so really Steve Harris, the actor had to shoulder that to represent the old show whilst watching it sort of be taken away from them. While having his hands tied behind his back. Yeah. Right? Because for me, the only thing that Eugene did out of Eugene's character, or I think wrong in any way, shape, or form, right? And I I will defend Eugene to the hilt on this. Uh, The only thing he did wrong was not dump this guy in episode two, and that's the only thing that's out of character with Eugene, because Eugene would have dumped this guy in episode two. He wouldn't have allowed him to come into the office to begin with. But his hands were tied behind his back because of the production elements. You know, both the actor and the character. You know, you, they, you know, he he, he wasn't allowed <laughs> to shut it down correctly because this is the season about Alan Shore. Well, yeah, obviously. So you have to, but you you have to look at the, what's on the page, right? So the question becomes, and I guess we can talk about this in a few moments. The question becomes with the the Eugene thing, with the, the financial element with Alan, is this: Did they write it? Was there enough scenes to explain to us that Eugene, because Eugene didn't can him, right? What he would have, like you said, it was written wrongly, but he whatever for whatever reason he didn't do it. And all the evidence were given, at least in the court case, is that he didn't do it because they were making so much money. Now, we had a couple of scenes where he wanted to do it, but Eleanor convinced him not to. Or he and he and Alan had a conversation, and Alan, you could say, either manipulated it or, or preyed upon, or, or Eugene just made a bad decision on it. Did we have enough of that to, to say definitively that he wasn't keeping on because they were making $9 million? Because- Well, well, but- that is not shown either, right? You haven't established that that's why Eugene did it. It has been inferred that that's why Eugene did it. But at no point did we see a scene. Was there any actual evidence 
of Eugene saying, this guy sucks, but like, look at this pile of money, right? Right. All of that is inferred. All of that is implied by other people. We have zero evidence that that was Eugene's motivation. The only evidence that we have that show Eugene's decision-making process is loyalty to Eleanor. Yeah. That, that, is, that is the evidence on the table. The rest of it is Spader inferring it. It's other people inferring it. And they have all of their own motivations to, to make that inference and, and, to, and to make that accusation. So I don't, I, I, don't, I don't buy that that was Eugene's motivation at all. That's yeah, just you, what Spader said. Yeah, but said. You, you layer in, too, a little bit. You layer in David E. Kelly saying, oh, he's trying to wean them over. And so it seems to it seems to me that if he's setting them up as a, that he would he would want it to kind of look. It it felt to me like they wanted us to be siding with 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 Alan there, um, mm. th- though they did. They obfuscated it slightly, but it felt that tonally that's the way it was showing it. Yeah, I mean, I think. Well, that's tough, right? Because like in this in this equation, because we're you know going to be <laughs> talking about inferring, right? The writer puts, at least I do, and I think a lot of writers put themselves in each of the characters, right? And so if two characters are arguing, you're arguing with different sides of your point of view, but frequently your point of view is represented by a character. Like you are this character or that character. And so was David E. Kelly Eugene here? Or was David E. Kelly Alan Shore? Because I th- I think that the I I feel like it's sort of like the angel and devil on his on his shoulder as the writer, and it's really it's the practice boss and legal, you know, and it's and from the audience standpoint, if you're loyal to both, it's like mommy and daddy are fighting, and we don't even know who's right and who's wrong. Yeah, but and and I felt the show felt that way. That's what that's yeah. our problem. We both share is like that's how the show felt. Like in those courtroom scenes, like I felt like it. You can't have your cake and eat it too. That was the problem for me. Like, is that, okay. And and I was arguing this, and I'm going to argue against myself slightly, is, okay, well, let's say that Eugene is being portrayed or the firm is being portrayed as having shorted Alan, right? But then in the next breath, we have all these amazing actors, Cameron, Steve, give these eloquent monologues about how much they stand for integrity and what they stood for and the whole, and why it's family and blah, blah. So it, it just was a seesaw back and forth, right? It's like, show me what I'm, tell me, look, in some ways, I love shows that are ambiguous and we've always liked that about this show, but sometimes, especially in this kind of, with these stakes, just tell me what I'm supposed to, where I'm supposed, my loyalty should lie. Yeah, well, and I think the reality is that the writer didn't know where his loyalties were. Yeah, well, there you go. There you have it. I I, I think that's, and 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 the transition of the Alan Shore character from somebody who was supposed to be the antagonist to protagonist, based by outs based on outside forces, it's based on the audience loving the character that you started out as a villain. So the audience is dictating this as well. So well, so for know. all of those reasons and more, being yeah. able to be the actor who has to shoulder all of that for better or for yes. worse. We give James Spader the oopsie. James Spader, congratulations. All right, we, uh, we're, we're, we're kind of into final tires already, but before we do that, we have to announce the nominees for best episode of season eight are 
Mr. Shore goes to town. Going home. Victims' rights and police state. All right. Um, should we read those recaps again? <laughs> yes, I think we should. All right. All right. Mr. Shore goes to town. Uh, Alan goes scorched earth during McDreamy's trial, so that's the trial proper, and gets him off. Mm-hmm. So that's the conclusion of that arc. Yep. Going home was the, I think, the the the, the first one. Right. McDreamy might have murdered his wife. Alan goes to his rescue and gets yelled at by Betty White. Right, and faces the mom. Victims' rights. I remember loving this episode. That's the girl. She protects. He protects a girl. Alan protects a girl from being taken back to Romania to be a child bride. Mm-hmm. Eugene uh, helps uh, a guy assassinate his wife's killer. I forget how he does that. I'll get the machinations uh, of that one. So that that was the one where um, this guy whose wife was murdered was trying to sue the guy who murdered his wife, who I guess like got out. Or like like the trial went something went wonky, oh, right. and so he was trying to to sue him um, civilly, and then oh right no the trial was going on, and he was like I don't think they're gonna get him, I want to sue him civilly, and then he uh, tricks he he pretends like they were having an affair, he was having an affair to intentionally get the guy off for murder so that he could have somebody shoot him on the court steps. Yes. And then police state the cops torture a guy in the hospital who may or may not have shot a cop, uh, and our team fights to hold them accountable. There you have it. Um, wow. It's nice that we could actually have some great episodes this season, despite what we kind of felt about the whole season. Um, I think I might go rogue here a little bit. So I, I think that the going home, Mr. Shore goes to town arc was the best arc of the season. Uh, mm-hmm. I wish I could say that the judge arc was the best. I wish that had been a whole three arc thing, but forget it. Keep wishing one hand. Got 12 uh, minutes of screen time. 12 yeah. minutes of screen time. Uh, so that arc was the best, but the individual parts had their faults. Like the going home, uh, Mr. Shore goes to town. Great episode. We love the procedural court stuff, but that conclusion, that conclusion just really shat the bed for me. Mm-hmm. It, it felt a little, just the triteness of it. Uh, so I'm really down. To, uh, so police state, we really liked that episode. It felt a lot like the episode we liked from one of the earlier seasons about the death penalty, and, and this one takes on a huge issue and breaks it off, and it's uh, slightly hyperbolic. Where I'm going to put my vote, I know we're running really long, but heck, it's our podcast, um, is with victims' rights this season. And the mm-hmm. reason I feel that way is because looking back upon all the episodes of all the shenanigans that happened, this was the most the practice episode that kind of mm-hmm. felt like the show we loved from the beginning. It was a, a fully, I think we even said at the time, our favorite version of Alan Shore. Like we yes. saw his empathy early on. It mm-hmm. was all the stuff that was peppered in was all like just peppered in. Uh, his jokes and his whatever's. Nothing felt egregious. It was peppered in. It, it fleshed him out. But he was really focused on this case. He used some of his tricks and his, or tried his BS and realized that his hands were tied. And yeah, we had uh, an incredible guest actress who, and the parents, and it was like a really tricky situation. And we were showed both viewpoints throughout the course, the court proceedings. 
and in very the practice kind of way, it doesn't go our way. And so yeah. rather than hit us over the head with a resolution that tells us what we should think, we're left with all these questions and a glaring, without hitting us over the head with it, David E. Kelly lays at our feet his view on an, an injustice that is perpetrated often in our system because of our system being broken and kind of where we fall on that spectrum and the pieces are left and the, and the players are left to pick up the pieces off screen and we have to deal with it emotionally and, and it's a thinker. So I think looking back and I'd even ask you the numerics, my favorite episode was victims rights this season. Yeah. Um, so let me give you the numbers on this. Uh, Mr. Shore Goes to Town was our highest rated episode, uh, which got a 9.275, which feels very high. Um, we were in a mood that day. Yeah, well, I gave it an 8.89. You gave it a 9.66. You were very generous this year. You you were much more generous than I was. Uh, going Home got 9.055. Well, you gave it a 9.11. I gave it a solid 9. Victims' rights uh, only came in at a uh, 8.63. I gave it an 8.45. You gave it an 8.81. And uh, police state was uh, 8.56. So I 8.51. You did 8.62. Um, so numerically, it's Mr. Shore goes to town all the way. But I... I think you're right, honestly. Um, I I think when I go back, when I went back to write the recaps for all the episodes, right? That's the one I remembered most on an emotional level, right? I mm -hmm. think that, that that was the one that stuck with me a little bit. And um, the performance that we got from that girl, you're right. It's, it, it is the best version of Alan Shore because he has to turn down the perv because he's talking to a child and, uh, which I appreciated. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for doing that. Um, you know, the, the, the Betty White, the, the, I think you're right that the, that is the best arc of the season. The going home, uh, pretrial blues, Mr. Shore goes to town. That is the best arc of the season. Um, but I think you're right. I think it's victims' rights. I I think you're absolutely right. So, uh, you've done it. You have, you lawyered yourself good, Mike. Our best episode is victims' rights, kids. There it is. I'm sure if I go back and watch it again, I'll remember why I why I didn't. Yeah, why well, I mean, it was mediocre at best, but there had to. But it also could have been just our mood. Who knows? Yep, it That's, usually uh, is. We're we're a cranky and capricious couple here. Okay, folks, there is only one last thing to do for season eight, and that is... Ladies and gentlemen, it is time to announce how many spare tires this episode gets. Well, uh, as I said in the episode uh, blurb for last week, I'll say it here, it might not have been the season we wanted... It mm -hmm. might not have been the season we envisioned, but no, it is. It's however, the season we got. The season we got, <laughs> and uh, it's time. So, uh, 
there's a lot of great work work happening, and there's there's two ways to look at it. I think we actually surprisingly spent a lot of time this episode talking about the work, right? The work from the writer mm. perspective, David E. Kelly's perspective, the production yeah. perspective, the network, the actors dealing with a really kind of unorthodox situation. It's, you know, especially for a, a final season. Now, they didn't know at the time they were going to transition, but they did know this was probably it, right? They knew after they fired everybody that this was probably the, the swan song. Mm-hmm. And so people were working in extraordinary circumstances and doing great a great job and finding a voice and, and finding a new character and then transitioning to finding a new show. All those things are incredibly difficult. They had, um, you know, um, clearly more than a moderate amount of success with the season and with the fruits that it bore. So then why aren't <laughs> I more excited? Well, because at the end of the day, I'm a dude watching television show, Right. And all the other stuff is fun to talk about. But at the end of the day, what's on screen is what lives on. That's what we know. That's what's the show. That's it just just right. because I, I want Moby Dick to be different in my imagination, it, at the end of the day, Moby Dick is what Moby Dick is, right? Mm-hmm. Not to not to compare side-by-side side Moby Dick and the practice. Dick is as Dick does. Yes. Because here's the thing, guys. Aside from it being two different shows, three different shows, it, it just it wasn't the show I was watching. Yeah. Half the people are gone. So this is, it's not like uh, we talk about the, the upcoming reboot of Quantum Leap or every show that's being rebooted now, reboot, reboot, reboot. Uh, great. Let's, I, I'm happy to give that a shot, but it's, I don't have to compare it to the, the other thing because it's the new thing. It's, it's a different thing. Fuller House is not Full House. I mean, the same universe and everything, but it's a different show. I don't think of it as the same right. show or a continuation or, or whatnot. This, however... I liked my show, clearly enough to watch it seven seasons. I turn it on season eight, and everybody's gone. Yeah. And the people who stayed get a scene here and there. There's these new people. I might like them. I might not like them. But it's not the same show. You're giving me a new show. And trying to, like, <laughs> it, it's it's like slowly. It's not, it's not like Jimmy Stewart. It's a new show. It's like, I don't understand uh, it. you know what, Mike? Your, your cholesterol's real high. You can't have eggs anymore. So slowly, uh, my wife just starts transitioning my scrambled eggs into egg beaters. And, and like, yo, this doesn't uh, taste These aren't like, eggs. These are uh, eggs. Uh, uh, these are egg beaters. Uh, I, don't, I don't even know what uh, Martha. Uh, so that's the way it felt. I mean, there was great things here and there. And, and I wish I had read that article before I started watching the season because I kept thinking, well, there's something behind Keith's eyes. I'm going to get the... Uh, I'm but get- I, w- I wanted to watch your hope die live on camera. Uh, and, you know, I think that it, it really speaks to... There were some good arcs. The tonal shift, I didn't think it would upset me as much as it did because I like funny stuff. I like goofy stuff. But I yeah. sort of got invested in the way the practice did stuff. I mean, and, and let's not kid ourselves. This the sort of downward trajectory started last season. We talked about it ad nauseum already. Yeah. The tonal, they sort of lost their footing and whatnot and, and went off the rails with Bobby and Lindsay and and, and and vice versa. But, you know, I thought maybe we'd see some more cameos. I thought maybe we'd see some more people coming back happily. But it's clear that yeah. it wasn't just money that uh, was – 
I feel like there was uh, there's reasons we didn't see everybody, or at least, or maybe there just wasn't time. You know, I, whatever it may be, that's it's I, it's hard for me to adjudicate the season outside of what I wanted from it. It's very difficult to do that, and I don't know yeah. that that's what we should be doing. I think it was it, it, as a, as a standalone season of television. You can't. It, it's not very successful because like like David admits to, it changes tone tonally wildly th- throughout the season. Um, some of its main characters shift abruptly. Um, their motivations, their t- the type of character they are, the, what we're supposed to feel about them changes. The type of behavior that I initially seems like we're supposed to scorn then becomes championed and laughed at and goofed about. Yeah. And so that tonal inconsistency, though it makes sense on the meta level of what they're attempting to do production-wise, as far as the story you're telling, and this is inherent to most, uh, like, this type of television, but especially especially egregious here, you can't even say, tells a coherent arc of television. Uh, It's just all over the goddamn place. It's not to take away from incredible performances, groundbreaking performances, uh, uh, the rebirth of an entire career Right, all those things happen. Also, so yeah. it's it's absolutely a monumental season of television, if not a particularly good one, in my opinion. Um, it gets away from what the show is, and then does, and then gives me what I want or thought I wanted, in just the smallest of little eyedroppers that it almost feels disrespectful. Like you know what, guys, we're gonna let you wrap up the whole series and talk about how much it's meant to you, and we'll see Bobby maybe for a second, but it's gonna be for, in three scenes over two episodes at the very, very end. Uh, and it just none of that. It it all made me the only fringe benefit of it is that the because of that, the last sort of beats we get and the feeling, the taste in my mouth after we wrapped last week was this bitter melancholy that actually felt. Very much the practice, <laughs> right? Mm. <laughs> a lot of those, like the twist was it was bad the whole time. <laughs> yeah, the fade to black as we're all sitting in the bar, you know, just like bemusing our lives. Uh, kind of felt like that taste I got at the very, very end. Uh, mm. it, but it, it just it, it felt like a different show. So uh, in this, it, I didn't love it. In fact, we we really didn't like it from the from the top. Uh, not to take away all the positives, but I can't. <sighs> Man, this is hard to put a number on it. Really hard to put a yeah. number on it. Yeah. Because there was a lot of, I mean, it was good. There was a lot of good TV inside of it. But we're judging it as a, a season of television. Like, I, I bought the whole season on DVD. I have to rent it or rate it. So. Does like a 6.25 feel right? Well, you know, I think you're right. It is a very hard season to rate, right? Because of, you know, it it obviously has some highs. It has some lows. The, The highs aren't as high as previous season. The lows aren't really as low as some of the seasons that have happened before. Um... But it's just not the same show. So it's a different show. It's a, it, it's like we're rating a season of Gilmore Girls yeah. in the or middle of pilots, our practice really. thing. Yeah. yeah, it's like it's a different. It's it's not the same thing. Um, 
just for the sake of fun, because numbers, uh, I just pulled up all of our stats um, for the previous seasons. And uh, we're going to have to talk about this more next week when we uh, when we rate the whole series. But um, our our average for this season is actually a 7.18 between the two of us. Uh, mine was a 7.06. Yours was a 7.30. So um, it's it's actually not our lowest rated season. Um, our first two seasons were were much were were lower than that. Mm-hmm. But I think um, I don't know. It's it's impossible to rate this completely out of context, right? Because it is so much about births and deaths of other things, right? It's the birth of another show. It's the death of the show that we have. And um, as a as a pilot for Boston Legal, yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. As a final season of The Practice, it's pretty bad. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, themes this year, uh, old people behaving badly, sexual harassment, lack of accountability, um, and tonal shifts. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's hard to rate. It's hard to rate because each individual episode is not objectively bad. And... A lot of these things, you know, you're, I mean, Shatner's Denny Crane is so charming and interesting and fun. Uh, Spader, or not Spader, uh, Alan Shore is a very compelling character. Um, however, you know, the, the Alan Shore of it all, this character is wildly compelling, but the more you watch it the less compelling it gets because it has no at least in this season right if you talk about food you have depth of flavor right a something that tastes really good the first bite like oh that's really good like a big mac secret sauce like mm, that's really delicious but the finer dining will then have layers of flavor that emerge going on and if you just keep eating the same that a, a simple sauce over and over again, you're going to get tired of it. And like, wait, where's the meat? Like this taste, this tastes good, but where's where's the meat? Where's the beef? And I don't think we ever got there with Alan. We we set up a whole bunch of quirky behaviors without ever giving us the backstory, without ever telling us why, without ever showing him grow or change or develop. You know, and, and in that in that review, he gets called a sociopath. Which, in this world, he is a classic narcissistic sociopath. He doesn't change. He doesn't foster real relationships. He doesn't seem to be affected by other people's emotions beyond how it affects them. It affects himself. He's a sociopath. He's a genuine sociopath. Uh, sorry to just insert this in the middle of a prepared statement, but <laughs> believe we, me, it's not prepared. We joked two seasons ago when Joey Herrick 
had his swan song and he became mm-hmm. a lawyer, we were like, oh, we'd watch that pilot. It's not a far leap of creative uh, yeah. juice to get what Joe, what Joey Herrick, attorney at law, would have been to yeah. where Alan Shore starts, at least. Oh, oh, absolutely. I mean, Alan Shore is definitely a spinoff of Joey Herrick. There's no question. You know, his, like, his quippiness, his un- completely unprovoked meanness, his charm, his astounding arrogance, his um, sexual harassment, his lack of, you know, human feelings, his narcissism, his wounded pride, uh, and an amazing, spectacularly watchable performance from an incredibly talented actor. Uh, it, It is Joey Herrick. It's Joey Herrick in drag as Alan Shore. Really. Um, and, uh, yeah, it turns out that pilot might not have been that good if, but you could, you could make it good if you, un, you have to unravel the onion. You have to show us what's going on underneath or there have to be consequences. You can't really have both. Uh, you know, if you're going to have an antihero, which I'm a huge fan of antihero. Great. You need, it needs to unspool in some fashion. There need to be consequences like in Breaking Bad, right? Even Antihero, he's charming, you're rooting for him, and then we're like, oh God, I don't know if I'm rooting for him anymore, and there are consequences. And there are, we see the reasons behind his behavior, right? We understand Walter White, right? It starts with desperation, it ends up being motivated no longer by desperation, and ends up being, it's, it's narcissism that motivates him, right? What motivates Alan Shore? No idea. No idea. And we don't ever know. So it's a type of thing that adds up to a pile of nothing when it looks like it's going to be something. All right, so that's Alan Shore, right? How this show treated itself, (laughs) right? Its own legacy, its own cast, its own history, its own tone was terrible. Right? I get moving train. It's difficult. There's a lot of factors happening outside of the world. Uh, you can't always get what you want. You can't always pay everybody what you want. You can't always get everyone to stay around. There isn't enough, you know, like I get it. We have limited resources and time and money. But nothing prevents you from writing a story wrapping up these characters, even if you don't have the actors. Nothing prevents you from ending the show with respect to to your actors and characters, and not, and it wasn't a mistake, right? We heard from the interview with David E. Kelly last week. It was by intent. Mm-hmm. He choked the practice out slowly and purposefully, by intent. By intent, he strangled his baby and forgot to leave it at a church, you know? So... um you know, he set up something else great. Absolutely. Hats off. You set up another thing. It was great and was successful and amazing. Started the whole Shatner songs, right? Mm-hmm. But the way that you treated the practice, the show, the characters, the actors, the audience, right? 
I understand that writing is not necessarily about the audience, but it is a little bit too. And uh, for those of us, you know, who have spent hundreds of hours analyzing this, right? And, you know, and nobody expected a podcast about this show. The podcast didn't exist when the show came out. But as an audience member who's invested, I don't know how many hours of my life in 160-something episodes, I've given you a lot of my time, and that's earned you a lot of money. Can you treat the thing that I love so much with enough respect to give it a decent send-off at least? And that's not what happened here. So, um, you know, I'm disappointed. I, you know, it's like, I'm I'm not mad, I'm disappointed. So I don't think I can give season eight, despite its good parts, and there are great parts about it. I can't think about it in the micro. I, I don't think there's any way to think about it. You know, we talk about a series finale. It's a series finale. You're wrapping up an entire series. Eight years of investment. Um, I can't give it any more than a five. All right. That's fair. You know, we had flirted flirted with the conversation. And I think it's funny because here's the truth of the matter. And here's why that the the sour, the little bit of the sour taste exists. You know, we flirted with the joke or idea of is is this season canon? And last week we even came, we were like, well, there's enough. David even gives enough evidence that it's not really. No. I don't but think anybody thought it that way. Yeah. But here's the thing, Keith. Mm. They didn't call it Boston Legal Season Zero. They called it The Practice Season 8. And so it is canon, and that's the thing. Well, yes. I mean, I mean, yes, of course it is. However, the I very say concept to... of canon is, yeah. is arbitrary anyway. I would say that we get a, we get enough information that there's like enough epilogue information to extrapolate some futures for our characters. But if, if people said, "I want to watch the practice," like, can I do I have to watch season eight? I probably would say no. I'd be like, "It's it's fascinating," but it, the story really ends season seven. Yeah, no, and I I think that was uh, that was certainly Michael's point of view. Mm-hmm. I think that's the point of view for most of the most of the cast, and and I don't think David started out intending to do what he did. That's. I don't think that was in any way. Eight oh one. David's like, I'm gonna have this new character come in, dominate the series, choke out the show, and yeah. build another show. It, that was not the plan. So moving train, I get it. Um, but, but yeah, I mean that not finishing it with his own cast was a specific choice. Mm. Giving his show and his cast. 30% of the series finale of its own show was a specific intended decision. And Different world, but like, okay, you, you get half the budget. All right, cool. I'm going to deliver 11 episodes. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You could do that or just, or, 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 or become more micro-focused. Spend more episodes... You know, get back to the law. You know, the the law stopped being interesting to the show at some point along the way. And there are plenty of ways to, you know, to work on a smaller budget. I think you're right. The best way to do that would be to do give up, do 11 episodes. Um, Which I'm sure ABC would have, or 
I, I, more to the point, like Keith and I, we're, we are not, once again, this isn't a criticism of David E. Kelly either because you do, you make the business choices you gotta make and sometimes, but you have to recognize, speaking of consequences, sometimes the end product suffers. Did he, yeah. I think in the meta arc, clearly he was successful. He launched a new show that became a giant smash. Yeah. Um, but, and we'll talk about this next week, you have to, you have to, you have to add up in the long arm of of media, you know, a lot of these shows become ephemeral. And, you know, when you pitched this podcast to me, I didn't even know that the practice was a thing. I right. thought that Boston Legal was the only thing that was in my gray matter. So yeah. I, the, the way that this last season transpired, I have to believe, had an effect on the legacy of the show. And yeah. I think that that's something we've had to reckon with. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it certainly did. I mean, you know, the the shows that stick the landing are remembered more than the shows that don't. Just flat out. You know, and and the, it, we think about series finales that are become part of all our cultural lexicon. Mm-hmm. Right? You know, you've got MASH, you've got The Sopranos, you have uh you know, whatever. And 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 when you mess it up, sometimes you can overcome it. You know, sometimes people hated the Seinfeld finale. I didn't. I got what they were trying to do. I thought that was, I, I was 100% on board with it. But other people have, have had problems with it. Lost, you know, Lost spun out entirely because they didn't have a plan. And I think the same thing happened here. It spun out because they 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 did not know where the train was going, but the train was moving. And there's there's no getting around it. So Well, let's say this, Keith. Let's put a little yeah. button on it. Uh, regardless of uh, the, we're not as celebratory as we generally are in the Oopsie Spectacular, I will say it was a fascinating uh, episode, a season to to talk about these types of things yeah, because for sure. at the end of the day, the moving part, you know, show is great. You sit back, you Netflix and chill, you watch it, it's over. But when you really look at the large picture of how how and why and all of the moving parts, it's it's a miracle any of these things end up for your eyeballs. No. And and I and you know and if I'm David E. Kelly listening to this, why? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's been you know what? Let's since we revisited all of our bumpers last week, my uh, yeah. CEO Jen had the Ooh, final, that's right. the final conspiracy theory. She said, "What if all along, Phoenix Cage, Phoenix Cage was- is not." Tom Brady, your mother, uh, Cloud Lover sixty nine, Cloud Lover sixty nine, but in he, fact, he all along has been David E. Kelly. <laughs> That's what she I, said. I love that so much. I think that should be canon. We have. I think that is canon for the podcast. It turns out Phoenix, Phoenix Cage, you have been declared David E. David Kelly. E. Kelly. Well then, I then I will say to Phoenix slash David E. Kelly, uh, while we say so many mean things about your final season, we only say so many mean things because we care so much about what you created, and and the special thing that was created and you manifested, and all these people who you fired, you also employed and made stars and Emmy winning stars of. Uh, most of them completely unknown before this happened. So, like, 
what was manifested into existence and how freaking difficult it is to accomplish any of what is is here needs to be kept in mind uh, because it is extraordinary and you created a hat that we have spent so many hours discussing not because we hate it but because we love it so uh it. there it is so uh let us talk more about it next week in what will be ish next week ish depending on mike's schedule uh the series finale of the Out of Practice podcast. Uh, and will we be able to stick the landing uh, for our series finale? Mike, it's, it's, uh, it's going to be something. I can't believe it. I can't believe we are going to record the last one. So, uh, you know what? If you're listening at this point, you know all the stuff. I don't think I have to say anything. No. You know, we all do. Uh, I feel like anybody who's listening this far could give the speech in their own heads to themselves. So everybody out there, you know, uh, uh, Jorge, Phoenix, Matt. Uh, Leanne from Leanne way back. Rice. Jennifer, Mashanova, all of the old hits and favorites. Yeah, yeah. So just, just listen in your head. Right, it's all it's all there. You know, you know what we're saying right now. Just just imagine it. While I sit here and just sort of emotionally process, this is the second to last time we're gonna hear this outro. In fact, we may not hear the outro next week or when we do the finale. Yeah, it also like people have been listening, but they also have been watching us grow, keep watching us work through issues. Quite literally. It's really been a meta podcast about us losing our minds and then potentially regaining them and some sort of a positive outlook for humanity or none of the above. <laughs> Mostly. Well, you've seen, you've heard, you've laser sound. It Stuck the landing! <laughs> Laser sounds. <laughs>